0: scriptures on you this morning, which is not something terribly different. Uh, We're going to be working mostly out of Genesis 2 and 3, so if you want to turn there, let me remind all of you the context of these messages. We are in a (coughs) four-month series on spiritual warfare. The first month was basically a war college talking about the dynamics of spiritual warfare. Uh, The second month, last month. We talked about uh, cultural strongholds. Uh, That is, the things that our culture encourages us um, to retreat into so that we do not have to face our real problems and we may stay there and decay with Satan. This month, I want to talk about how Satan sabotages relationships. And I thought that it would be appropriate to begin with a marriage relationship Although there is much that I I will say this morning that can be applied to any relationship, and so therefore I want you all to listen closely, whether or not you are married or planning to get married. Twenty-five years ago, I sat in a hot high school gymnasium with a cap and gown on, awaiting my high school commencement speaker. And uh, I was typical pagan kid, thinking of the parties afterwards, and you know not wanting to to miss any of the fun times, but But I was willing to listen to this fellow who obviously, like all commencement speakers, would come and tell us what we wanted to hear, how good we had done, and how well he wished us. This particular commencement speaker stepped up to the microphone and looked at all of us and said, I hope the next ten years are the most miserable you've ever lived. I thought, this guy's got a problem and wonder where they got him from. He said, I hope that you have the toughest time in the next ten years than anybody could ever have in a life. He said, I hope that your existence is severe because up till now you've been very sheltered and up till now you've thought that you have known what life was all about. And I hope that at the beginning of your exit from this high school you can learn what life is really all about so that you won't have to pretend for the rest of your days. Because severe existence is the most freeing experience you can ever have. Well, it is in that vein that I come to you to speak not words of comfort, but of challenge. Because I want us to be able to face the onslaughts, listen to this, of comfort to our marriages and to most of our relationships. The subtlety of Satan is this. Satan never begins by telling us we have problems. Now I know that may surprise many of you because we all have Satan in this role that he's the one that causes all the problems. And he's the one that is the great discourager. Quite the opposite. If Satan can have his first choice. His first choice will always be telling us it's not as bad as it seems, therefore, you don't really need to fix it. Satan would have us believe that Christianity has as its point protection rather than resurrection. Now, if you will read in the third chapter of Genesis with me, let me show this to you. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Right there he's trying to get her to feel confined, limited. Well, the woman said, no, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. One of the things, one of the dynamics in marriages that I see is the constant theme of the protection of the relationship rather than the admission that parts of those relationships have died and therefore they need, by the power of God, to be resurrected. You see, Satan would have us believe we don't need to go through all the work and all the pain of death if we just protect what we have long enough. If we just will, will uh, tell ourselves it's okay, it's normal, it's no big deal. Then maybe we can coast along, maybe we can mummify what we've had and always keep it, brush it off and dust it, always keep it just as it is. But what happens after decades of that is you turn back and you haven't got anything at all. Because it has died. And now you find yourself smiling and telling everybody you have a great marriage, but you don't have a great marriage. You know why? Because our theme was protection rather than resurrection. Remember when Peter said to Jesus, you don't have to die? And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Unless we realize something is broken, we will never get it fixed. That goes for our marriages, that goes for our lives, that goes for our friendship, that goes for our churches. Unless we can admit this doesn't work anymore, we will never get it fixed. We are so afraid of disharmony. We are so afraid of somebody singing a different tune. You know what? The goal of marriage is not to think alike. The goal of marriage is to think together. Those are two different things. The goal of marriage is to admit that we have a problem. Something is dead so that we can begin to invite God to resurrect that thing so that we don't have to go through the great cover-up like Adam and Eve did. What did they do right after they ate the fruit? Jump behind the bush. Pretending everything was okay. I was just resting back here. You know? God says, where are you? I'm just back here. You know? Why are you back there? Well, I was just kind of afraid. (laughs) Because I was naked. Not because I ate. Because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? You know? Have you eaten? Yeah, okay. See the great cover-up. And that's what our marriages are. The great cover-up. That's what most of us have for all of our life. The great cover-up. Until we admit that we are broken and that we radically need God. And that sin is of a radical and pervasive nature that will destroy us and cause death to our relationships, to ourselves, to our spirits. Until we admit that, we are playing right into the hands of Satan. I was reading Romeo and Juliet a couple of weeks ago. And there's a part in which Romeo goes to a druggist called apothecary. You ever, you ever wonder where we got that name? Apothecary. And he wants to buy poison. And apothecary is unwilling to sell it to him. It goes against his grain. But Romeo offers him this huge sum. And he still resists. And Romeo says, But you need the money. You are so poor. You can't afford not to sell it to me. And finally, apothecary says, My poverty but not my will consents. And he sells it to him. Friends, our Christianity is the same way. Our poverty, not our will, will fix things up. The admission that we are totally without resources. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of God. It is not till the time that we come to say, this is broken. I've got a real problem. This isn't, this isn't well. This is broken beyond repair. I need a resurrection. It's not till that time that God can fully become involved, and that we can fully come alive. The second lie that Satan would have us believe. And this is so pervasive in this society today. The second lie is this. It's in this verse right here. Verse six. <clears throat> I'm sorry, verse five. For for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. Second lie. The second lie goes like this. The purpose of a relationship is for your self-actualization. For your self-realization. It's not for love. It's so that you can be all that you can be. That's the purpose of a relationship. You feel the limitation that Eve feels. I've heard so many people say, hint, not say, I'm sorry, hint, you know, if I just didn't have all these family obligations, this is what I could be. If, if I didn't have to pour all my money into my kids, this is what I could be. If I didn't have to pour all my emotions into my wife, this is what I could be. My family, I love my family. They are a great source of fulfillment for me. But if I didn't have my family, no telling what I could be. George Barna has written a book, Frog in the Kettle. It's going toward the year 2000. It's, it's alerting the church to the trends that he, that his uh, survey group. He is like a Gallup or Roper, uh, some of the other poll takers. But he works specifically uh, for the church. The trends that he sees in the American culture. There have been for a long time, admittedly, two sources of fulfillment in our culture. One has been the family. And the other has been work. I read also that uh, same thing in a book called The Leadership Challenge. For many executives, work is a source of fulfillment even deeper and beyond the family. But it has been like that with the family. Barna says, though, in the 1990s, the dynamics are a little bit different. Because the family is no longer just a source of fulfillment. The family is being seen nowadays as a source to supply our basic fulfillment so that we can go out and fulfill ourselves with other things. They supply us with the basic emotional needs, the basic needs we have for stability so that we can really go get fulfilled by other things. Therefore, the family is seen these days not as the end or goal of our fulfillment, but as the base of our fulfillment. Well, whether it be 1990s or the beginning of Genesis, the dynamic of Satan is the same. He would say to us, you could have so much more without that relationship. You could be so much more if you just put that aside. There is fulfillment line out there that you will never get in this relationship. I just tell you two things. First of all, we have never been fulfilled by our work. From the very beginning, our work was not meant to complete us. Our work is a wonderful thing. I love my work. My work is a calling. And so is yours, I'm sure. But as for fulfillment, it was never meant to be like that. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. This is especially for you men. There was a time when we were free of all family obligations. And we had work. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Now this is before Eve was ever made. For she was ever made. Now you would think if work was to be the completion of a man, that would be the formula right there, wouldn't you think? But look in verse 18. It's not the completion. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Why not? He's got his work, he's got his fulfillment, he's got everything he needs, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. You understand what God's doing? He's saying, man can't be completed by activity. Man can't be completed by achievement. By things that he does on his own, by being all he can be. And then, in verse 22, look what he does. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib, which he had taken from a man, and brought her to the man. Here's what I want to get. There is a sense... And until we mature into the appreciation of this sense, we will never mature into any kind of fulfillment. There is a there is a sense of belonging that lies way beyond any thrill of achievement. I've been gone for two weeks. Becky and I went to, man, our family went to an island in Lake Erie, and there were two churches on that island. One was Catholic and one was Episcopal, and so for the past two Sundays we've worshipped in the Episcopal church. Now it's a wonderful thing to worship in different churches and to see God's people and 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 to see our boys go through the fumbling with the you know the Book of Common Prayer and the hymnal and they're going back and forth and reading back and forth and watching and, and just it was it was good. It was good for us to do that. But I know that you know that I'm not wired quite like that and so by the time we got home on Monday afternoon last Monday afternoon I said Beck Northland's got a worship service tonight I gotta go I'm dry as a bone I've got to go worship so I came and worshiped and Reggie Kidd was preaching doing an incredible job I mean wonderful here's this guy who not only has a PhD in New Testament studies and is a seminary professor but can preach now I'm sitting there thinking to myself you know the whole time I was gone I was perfectly comfortable knowing that there are several people in this church that can preach every bit as well as I can and there are many people who probably know more than I do on any given Sunday and as I come back and I listen to Reggie there's a sweet pain in that comfort because he is doing, and I'm sitting there thinking, what do they need me for? They've got, they've got guys, and probably gals too, but guys who could, who could stand up and deliver and on it. And I, and I go through their thing and saying, look, I've got to come to terms with the fact that on any given Sunday when I stay up here, stand up here, it's tremendously intimidating, by the way, to preach to you. You're going to tell it, by, my voice just changed. Intimidating! Tremendously intimidating. You know why? Because you've had experiences with the Lord I haven't had. Because you have wisdom I don't have. And you have skills I don't have. But the comforting and secure, securing factor as I sat there and I worshipped with my church family. I got my security from the place, not that I could preach better than anybody in the place nor even that I could lead us all any better than somebody else could lead us to where we're going. I got my security from this. We belong to each other. You know, I belong to you. God happens to have put me in the role of pastor here. But my security doesn't come from my skill or my comparison to you. We belong together. And I missed you when I was gone. I want to take you all on vacation with me next year. I missed you. while I My family wasn't... There, we belong together. You know what? In twenty years of ministry, I've, I've performed hundreds of weddings. All of them with professing Christians, because that's I've, I've just married professing Christians. That's I mean, other folks can do the way, but for my, from the way I believe, I can't unequally yoke folks. So therefore, both of them have to be professing Christians. Well, in twenty years of marriage, in hundreds of times of saying. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? I have never once, and I'm not mad about this, I just find it curious, I have never once had anybody say, could we say, God does? Because it's Him that brought us together. This is His marriage, He's the one that says we belong to one another, He's the one that says we will be one another's completion. Could could I, just as the dad say, her mother and I recognize that God gives this woman to be married to this man, that this man to be married to this woman? See, until we get to the sense that God puts us together to belong together, we will not have the ultimate security because we will still be depending on the achievements that come out of that marriage rather than the people that belong in that marriage. Third lie Satan tries to get across. He tries to get across this lie that you are a partnership that is different than any other partnership. Therefore, what you do really doesn't affect anybody else. Concentrate just on you Because that's the only thing that you have control over. Now watch this. This It's very subtle. I'm not trying to get you to take responsibility for the world here. I'm trying to get you to see your responsibility in the world. You are not just a partnership. You are history in the making. Now listen to this phrase, and I don't ever want you to forget it. There is no such thing as just a partnership. Every partnership is a parenthesis. Every partnership has between it God and people who stand in the gap between those two people. Adam and Eve were not just a partnership. All of us stood in the parenthesis of that couple. But look what Satan tries to get us to do. And God said, or indeed, has God said, "You shall Now look at how many times the word you comes up here. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Verse 3. You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you open it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. What do you think Eve was thinking about by the time she got done with that conversation? Herself. That was the only one on her. Just herself between her and Satan. This is my business. Look at how God approaches Eve after they have eaten. The first word that God says is in the in the in the follow up edict is because. Not just you. It has to do with the effect. It has to do with the consequences. You are history in the making because you have done this. And then 15 to 17 times he uses the word will and shall. See, there is an effect for years to come as to what happens in that relationship. Why? Verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Your relationship. Your marriage is a parenthesis. There is God in the middle of that. There are people in the middle of that. There are models in the middle of that. It is not just you who is affected. It is the whole world that is affected by your relationship. Please don't let Satan think that you're isolated. Some of you have heard me talk about my grandmother and grandfather. Permit me to do it one more time for those who haven't. I can remember spending almost every Saturday night at my grandmother and grandfather's house when I was a kid. My sister and I went up there. And we would watch Lawrence Welk. And we would watch the Saturday night Gillette fights. And then the next morning we would get up and go to church with my grandmother. I can remember thinking after I was old enough and hearing all of the family stories. That's one of the things I love about going back to the family on vacation. Uh, as you hear all those old stories over again. they're, They're a heritage. They're a goodly heritage. I can remember hearing all the family stories. And I can remember one night seeing my grandmother and grandfather come together as they did every night. They were old. They'd been married 54 years. And they're kind of coming together like this. They don't walk too steady anymore. And they come together and they kissed. Now, there's a whole story in that. And this is just part of the story. These two people should not have lasted for a day in their marriage, let alone 54 years. They were direct opposites. My grandfather was a beer-guzzling, cigar-chomping, cussing, gambling veterinarian that was as coarse as anybody who ever lived. I loved him like crazy. He had a heart of gold. But man, was he rough as a cop. My grandmother was a lace hanky in the sleeve. First United Methodist lady. She could not bear to look at the, at the hair on a man's legs. It was awful. When I played high school football, she was still trying to get me to shave my underarms. Because it was so gross. Can you imagine walking into a locker room with shaved underarms? It must have been horrible for my grandmother to be married to my grandfather. Well, there were family stories of him gambling away the family money during the Depression. Can you think of it, anything lower than that? It must have been horrible for my grandfather to be married to my grandmother. If she would have had her way, she would have had everybody in town believe that her two children were adopted. Because sex was not something you ever did. Can you imagine him married to her? Fifty-four years later, they're still kissing every night. Why? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I only know that I stood in the middle of that parenthesis. I didn't have a great home life, but I had a wonderful model and my grandparents of what it is like to love each other just to love each other. And I was in the middle of the parentheses and they will never know how they set my goal for my marriage. If God gives us another 40 years I'm going to be toddling up to Becky trying to find her lips. I am. Just point them out to me. I can't see them like I used to. You know? Let me know where they are. Am I getting close? Am I warm here? 50, 60 years. I don't care because I was in the middle of the parentheses of people who loved each other. Let me ask you to pray about a few things this morning, will you? Number one, would you pray for your own marriages? Or if you're not married... Would you pray, please, selflessly this morning for a marriage you know could use this prayer? Would you pray that God would teach you to recognize the things that are dead so that you may call on Him to resurrect those things, to face the problems as they are, so that you don't ever have to hide from them or pretend that they're not there? so that you won't believe the devil's lie about protection being better than resurrection? Would you pray not to use each other so that you can make better of your life somewhere else? Would you pray to recognize that you are not the only two people concerned in that relationship? That you are parentheses You are not just a partnership. You are parentheses. And that many, many, many other people are affected by your lives. Would you pray that God would give you the capacity to love each other in a godly way? And one more thing. If you are here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what I've just asked you to do is impossible to you. You can't ask for resurrection without the power of God. Things don't resurrect normally, which is why we're afraid to let them go in the first place. Only by the power of Jesus Christ is life brought into death. And so therefore, if your desire is life, pray that He come and live in your heart so that He might use you to bring His life into that relationship let him come in this morning now I'm going to ask Ken to come Ken's uh, just given us a song to give time to the Holy Spirit to kind of let us know how he wants us to pray after he gets done with that song I would invite any of you who like to use the altar as I do to come forward it would be neat to have married couples come forward and pray for each other pray for their marriage Uh, during this time, or for the others of you to come forward and pray for those marriages that you know really do need help. They need a death and a resurrection. But during this time, uh, let us pray, and then uh, uh, Ken will also uh, dismiss us after a time of prayer with a benediction, all right? Let's begin the time of listening and then the time of prayer.
1: The spring of love finds its source above, you know it's there. So fill your cup, you'll find as. Dreams form a common flow to make one out of one another, to make one. sewn together in a pattern all their own to make one out of one another. Who for our sake laid his power and glory aside there's a spark
0: burning in your heart
1: You know it's there Well he has joined us none Tear us apart You know he's there You know he's there Belonging to each other Now we're following his call To make one out of one another To make one out of one another To make one 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 out of one another One out of one another One out of one another One out of one another